So I, in four years, I will have turned $3,000 into almost 300000 There's our title. <laughs> There's the podcast. Welcome to the Action Academy Podcast. Stand back while I celebrate freedom. The show where we help you achieve financial independence with the mindsets, methods, and actionable steps from guests who've already earned their freedom. The flags of freedom fly. Choose to do what you want. What you want. With who you want. With who you want. When you want. When you want. With another episode today. Now, here's your host, Brian Lubin. Jordy Clark, welcome to the Action Academy podcast, buddy. How you doing? Thanks for having me on, man. I'm unbelievable. How are you? I am better than I deserve, like I said before. But then again, you changed my mind. Maybe I do deserve this. And I know you sure as heck do because your story is insane. And now you've got this huge abundance of not only monetary wealth, but you're one of the dudes that I watch that really embodies the freedom aspect of it. You run your business, doesn't run you. And it's awesome to watch, brother. And you've got a lot of value to offer it. I can already... I'm already laying this up for you. So everyone listening, Jordy's the real deal. And he's going to drop some bombs on you today. So sit back and buckle up. (laughs) So let's start with your origin story right now. Let's start with where you started from and walk us into that journey into getting into the world of investing at all. And then we'll hit into that. Yeah, I grew up here in Utah still, lived in a couple other places, but grew up here in Utah. I'm a contractor's son. So when I was 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, like my whole growing up summers when I was not in school, I'd be doing stucco, framing houses, just doing construction. My dad's a general contractor. A lot of manual labor taught me really cool work ethic that I absolutely love that I have. I probably wouldn't have gotten it had my dad been in financial services or banking or something because you know I just wouldn't have had an opportunity to go and do what we did. Growing up, let's see, I timed getting out of high school perfectly. Not that I tried, but with the great recession of 08, I didn't know. Um, at that time, our whole education system is based on, hey, you got to go get good grades in high school so you can get accepted to a good college. And then once you go to a good college, then you know, you'll get a good degree. When you get a good degree, you'll get a good job and then you'll make money. And, and that's kind of how we're brought up in, in this society. I totally went along with that. I was, I wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon. I'm going, trying to get good grades. Uh, I went to a community college for a couple of years. And then I went after I, just cause it was more affordable. And then I mm-hmm. went to a university after I'd gotten the, my associate's degree more or less. I never paid the 30 bucks to get the actual certificate, but it is what it is. Doesn't count. Doesn't, count. <laughs> Doesn't matter. No one ever asks me today. So I went, failed miserably at all of the biology, physiology, all of the classes that like, Be a you know, surgeon. yeah, like I was like, Hey, like, I just want to break people's bones and cut them open and fix things. But I just, I was decent at taking tests, but I was terrible at sitting and studying for hours and hours on an end. And uh, I mean, I could have done it. I, I, have a self-diagnosed ADHD. So anyways, that kind of hit. And I was like, man, school's expensive. I'm living on campus up at this university in in Logan, Utah State University. And I was just like, man, I really just want, I I don't even know if I want to do this whole medical school thing. 
So anyways, my, my church offered a program in the faith I grew up in and I had fallen away trying to find my own path in life. Anyways, I went back to that and I was like, man, that program seems really cool. And so went and lived in Chile for two years, all up and down the North coast of Chile, learned Spanish, met the people. It was a phenomenal experience. I came back and, and the director of that area, he did a bunch of commercial real estate. So I was like, I just enjoyed talking to him about everything that he was doing and it was really cool. He would basically lease skyscrapers in San Diego. Yeah, no, totally. But salt <laughs> to the earth, like coolest guy, great mentor for me in just life. So came back and, and I had a couple months later, uh, got married to my wife. We had been dating before I left. And then we wrote on and off while I was in Chile. And anyways, we got married and I started working at a bank. I was going to school because again, I slipped into that same mentality of you got to go to school to get a degree to blah, blah, blah. And, but I was like, Hey, I'm going to switch and do business instead. Cause it seems like maybe I'm wired towards that a little bit more. And fast forward a year, maybe I was in school. My daughter was just born. So I had a two month old baby at home. I was working all day at a bank, going to school all night, paying a ton of money to go to school, missing my daughter growing up. And I was like talking to my my colleagues or my friends that were graduating and they're like, yeah, I got this job offer. I'm making 50 grand a year. And at the time I also had my real estate license. I was already making 50 at the bank. Plus I was doing, getting better at real estate. And so at that point in time, I had just separated from the bank and I was just doing real estate full time. And I was like, man, I'm making six figures selling real estate. And Mm. my future, if I keep going to school is I'm going to make 50 grand like everyone else. So I was like, maybe I'm not going to go. I'll take a semester off and we'll see and just dive into this real estate thing. And it just dove in, made a career out of helping people buy investment properties and representing a, a new construction builder that came a few years later. Fast forward and we started buying rental properties a couple of years ago. Before that, we had to go from, I think the normal progression is you go from being a spender, which most Americans are, to sure. you save some of your income, you spend less than you make. And then after you get 20, 30, 40, 50, whatever thousand dollars in the bank, you're like, okay, I got to do something with this money because what am I saving for? Mm-hmm. And then you transition to an investor, right? So spender, saver, investor. So we started buying rental properties and I've had a couple of mentors over the years, but one of them at the time he had owned about 80 units here in Utah. He was a hard money lender, a mortgage broker. He ran a couple of the real estate investor associations and I really just got in close with him. He had a mentoring program that I joined and really just followed what he said. And all of a sudden we fast forward to 2022 and we've got a multi-million dollar portfolio and we've got enough cash flow coming in that it covers most of our bills. It doesn't cover if I want to go live in Costa Rica for six months or anything yet. It's enough that we're actually blessed enough that my father-in-law has some health issues. And so we're able to pay for him to be an assisted living facility, which we wouldn't have if we didn't have passive income coming in. I mean, it also covers our mortgage and car payments and all of the like big bills in life. So if I wanted to step away from what we were doing, could totally be done. Cool. So the theme of the episode to break all that down, awesome story. So for you listening, all you have to do to be successful in real estate, in relationships, in life is to fail out of medical school and move to Chile for two years. That's all you have to do. And then, right, the rest writes itself, correct? I mean, it worked out. Totally, totally. Well, and, and the interesting thing is, 
to that point in school, we're always taught, hey, don't cheat on tests, right? Like you can't copy your neighbor's work. Fast forward when you're in real life and like all of the best investors I know and the people who are you know, most successful, they're totally just modeling what somebody else did. There's the sound bite. There's the sound bite. Which is totally what we're taught not to do in school, right? Yet, if I go to anyone uh, and I want some advice and like, I want to get my marriage better, I can go and model off of somebody that has a better marriage than I do, at least in whatever area my wife and I are trying to improve or the same goes for investing or money or lifestyle. Like I just have to go talk to them and see what they did and then I just have to go take action and implement. That's why I love the name of your podcast, the Action Academy. You can have all the knowledge in the world, but if you don't take action, it doesn't matter. Yeah, we got a stride going now, Mr. Clark. We got a stride going. Uh, got a couple sound bites. Yeah, that's where it gets fun. We always have an open-ended question, and then now I've got a lot to play with. So let's play. Let's have some fun. So I love what you said there. I love what you said there about the school system of learning versus the school of hard knocks, like real life. And you're sitting there and I remember, I don't remember if it's a book or if it's a quote, I I can't remember the source of this, but they say that we all almost go through a certain couple of entrepreneurial tests in life. And the first test is school because a lot of us are terrible at school or we're super disinterested. And so they said the first test of an entrepreneur is do they fit in really well with school? They just sit down, put their head down and do the work. Most of us know. We all barely got through school. And then the second one is corporate America. You go to corporate America. If you fit into corporate America, doesn't work. <laughs> and they're like, we have that itch two times in our life. And then after that, then you're like, okay, you're probably just destined to be an entrepreneur. So I love what you said there. And then while you can't cheat off of your math class, you're, you're forced to read books that aren't necessarily factually correct a lot of the time in the school system and come up with your own conclusions. But in real life, it's just, why would I ask this person when I could simply just go ask someone that's where I want to be and model that system? Can you talk a little bit more about that? Because your, your mentor that you had, you completely modeled his system. Where can people give some advice on how people can find systems to model and dissect this process? Yeah, no, that, that's a great question. I mean, to take a step back, maybe even a little bit further, I had read a bunch of real estate books, right? Like Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I read some of the Bigger Pockets books where, you know, and I just listened to podcasts like this where I figured out like, hey, I'm not really destined to be an employee. Like uh, being an entrepreneur is, I think, super cool right now. But it's a lot of work and it's tough not knowing more work. Yeah, it's tough not knowing where your next paycheck is coming from. And there's a lot of people that they make great money just working in a business and they're like, oh, but I got to get out of the W-2 life. And I'm like, not really, because there's a lot uh, like you can unplug if you're a W-2 worker. You punch the clock at five and be done. You're done. Where, yeah, man, there's a lot of times where like my wife and I, we both are self-employed and we're texting clients at nine o'clock at night because we finally put the kids down and we can get back to it. But dude, we're working. And even this morning, like I woke up at 3 a.m. and I couldn't get back to sleep because I started thinking about everything I have to do before we take off this weekend and go to the Grand Canyon. And it's, man, there's, it doesn't stop, right? In your mind, when it kicks on, like that, you, you can't stop it. You just need to accept it and flow. Because it doesn't feel like work. 
yeah, I mean, I definitely prefer to sleep eight full hours at night if I can. That's but. true. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. But um, you'll find yourself working like for this podcast and for everything that I do. I'll, I'll wake up at six. I'll start this at seven or eight. And then last night I look up and it's nine thirty. But yeah. it's because you're it's because you're building something that you know is yours. Yeah. And you're working your ass off and it's different. It's just different than because now it's all on you. It's all on you if you win or you lose, you succeed or you fail. It's all you. So it's the ultimate test. And when that all that's on you, then you don't have any excuses anymore. And you yeah. just start putting you you burn the ships and you're all in. So yeah. I love that. So how again did you get linked up with this gentleman? So really, I just started taking advice from all the podcasts and books that I was reading that said, hey, go Crazy. and network with other investors. So I was like, okay, how do I do that? And I, I found that there's local meetups. Uh, they're called real estate investor associations. So I'd start going to these meetings and just keep showing up. And then I was talking to new people. They're like, oh, what do you do in real estate? And I was like, oh, well, I want to buy some rentals. And they're like, oh, cool. And then I was sitting in one of the meetings and Matt, who's now a, a good friend to me, he stood up and he was pitching his coaching services that he had. And I was like, man, I've been coming to these meetings. I haven't taken action. My, my wife and I had different ideas on money and investing and everything. And I was like, I look at this guy, he's super successful. He's got this mentorship program. At the time it was a lot of money. It was like 1500 bucks. And I was like, holy cow how am I going to afford 1500 bucks? Again, we were learning to go from being a spender to a saver to, we hadn't even gotten to the investor part. So I, I was like, you know what? I'm going to go talk to my wife. I'm going to say, this is super important to me. And I'm going to just convince her that we need to do it. So I did it. I started plugging into, he had weekly calls and then he had a bunch of other recorded stuff that like you get with the program. And it was all just because I showed up to the networking meetings for local investors here in Salt Lake. And then I started listening to everything and I just literally started taking action on what he said to do. And to a lot of people, I'm sure if they followed me on Instagram or Facebook for a while, like all of a sudden they now look and flipping tons of houses and we've got tons of rentals and they're like, man, how did you do this? But this is eight or nine years in the making where they didn't see me going to those you know, meetings every single month and not taking action for a year until I finally felt like I had enough knowledge to go, okay, I'm ready to jump in. So that's kind of how I found him. And then he just grew organically from there. He had a couple other levels that were higher up on the commitment scale for his coaching program. And I just followed that. And yeah. So I love this because you're 31, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I do Jason Drees, like a client of Jason Drees. And I obviously talk about him on the show all the time. Like his lowest price point for his is six months, like $5,800. And so I do his coaching because every single person that was talking to me about getting to the eight figure level, they said, stop playing a solo game here, play a team sport. And so they're like, you need to make this investment in yourself. And it's an investment. It's not an expenditure. I actually literally write it off on my taxes because it's it's a business expense because I'm the business. And I love that you made that leap and you were like, whoa, this is a lot of money here. But it comes back to my friend Gino Barbero in his episode of Jake and Gino. Like they run the big multifamily masterclass. And he was saying that there's two ways for mentorship and coaches. You either pay to play or seek to serve. 
So you either pay for their services or you find a way to provide value normally in the form of free labor. So what is some advice you can maybe give on people that are looking for a coach and maybe they are leaning towards that where they hear enough episodes of this to where they're like, okay, cool. I do need a coach or a mentor and I'm willing to pay for it. What are some guardrails that you think that they can place to make sure that they're not absolutely getting scammed? Yeah, that, that's a great question because in today's society, it seems like everyone's a coach. Everyone's sure. got a coaching program. Or The one thing for me is, I, A, podcasts are great because they're free. Yep. So if you don't know what you want, go listen to everything that's free because you're not spending any money. I'm a pretty frugal guy. We definitely enjoy life. Like I'm not a penny pincher yet. I'm not going to spend money on something I don't value. So podcasts, if you don't know where you're going, and then that funnel funnels you down to know where do you want to go? So like specifically talking real estate, like if I want to do multifamily, I'm going to listen to a bunch of stuff and see who I resonate with. I want personal development coaching or business coaching. I'm going to listen to podcasts of some of these guys that have programs and I'm going to listen and see if I resonate with them. And then I'm also dive deep and watch them at least on social media as much as I can. If they're local, you can get to know somebody a little bit more. And if they're telling you how to do something that they don't have, I probably wouldn't do that program. But if someone like, let's say me, I don't, really do any coaching right now. I'll very selectively take one-on-one clients, but it's very selective. But if I said, Hey, I've got this coaching program where I'll show you how to get your first 25 rental properties. That's niche too. I, I can do that because I have more than 25 rental properties. So that's something that I can, I have what I'm teaching on that I, I can teach someone that. I can't teach somebody how to go syndicate a 500 unit apartment complex because I've never done it. I can't teach somebody how to go day trade stocks and make millions of dollars because I've never done it. So when you're looking at coaches, I at least look for, have they done what they're coaching about? Are they authentically showing up? Because there's a lot of coaches out there that will tell you to do one thing, but then they go do something else. Like there's a couple I think of that they're trying to be like Tony Robbins and they tell people that you need to do certain things and then they, you get off the stage and the, let's say party, right? They say, hey, you, you can't party if you're going to be successful in business. And then that night after they just got off the stage teaching that. All <laughs> they're sudden, at the club. They're, they're, yeah, they're partying. It's okay. Yeah, you're not going to take your own medicine. So just being authentic and finding someone who is is truthful and, you know, teaches you what you want and how to get what you want is, is huge. Yeah. And another shortcut for that that I use is I just go and ask people because people will gladly, if you're willing to take action and you're willing to pay for it too, a lot of the guys that you look up, if you got, if, if you guys even look up to me at all, I'll tell you gladly who all I use is coaches. Like I've got a podcast coach. I've got a brand coach. I've got a coach uh, for mindset, Jason. And it's like, I've got a bunch of coaches. And if you go ask people that you respect, go to Brandon Turner, say, Hey, I'm really interested in this. Do you, can you recommend anybody for coaching or any programs? Nine times out of 10, they'll answer that message and they'll give you someone. Like I was talking to Andrew Cushman, right? Andrew Cushman, he has an episode in the show and he's a huge multifamily syndication guy, like Jordy just said. And I asked him, how did he start? And he goes, oh, I hired a coach. 
And then if you just literally email Andrew, like he will tell you the coach, he'll give you the information and then you just go where it's proven, right? Over and over again. So talk a little bit about your actual portfolio now, because you said you have more than 25 rentals. What does the portfolio look like now? And let's get into the nuts and bolts of it. Yeah, we started just acquiring distressed single family houses. We would use the Burr method. I even got a license. Got the license plate, the Burr, (laughs) baby. So that stands for buy. You rehab, so you're buying something that's distressed, the kitchen's beat up, it needs work. You're buying it usually at a discount, Mm -hmm. usually off market. So a lot of them, we would buy them at foreclosure auctions. We would buy short sales, not that they're short sales anymore. Buy from wholesalers who don't have any money, but they go and they've got the We Buy Houses sign in the end of town where there's a lot of rentals. and Yeah, the home uh, vesters. Yeah. Home, yeah, yeah. So we, we I networked with them. I would buy off-market discounted deals because there was something wrong with it. Go in, we fix it. And then the, the next R stands for rent. So we'd put a tenant in there. And by the way, we would do this all with a very high interest loan. We're paying like 12% interest, um, but it's for a very short period of time. So the more important thing to me, and a lot of people have the same reaction you just had is that's a lot of interest. I don't want to do that. What's the benefit for me? The benefit for me is I can buy something that's distressed that a bank's not going to lend on, or if they are going to lend on it, they're going to take 45 days to get me a loan when the seller wants to close next week. So I'm going to be able to get close quickly. I buy a better deal, buy it, buy it at a discount, and I build the you know cost of that loan into it. Then I rent it out, put a tenant in there. And this can all happen pretty quickly within three or four weeks of purchasing the home. You can get carpet, flooring, cabinets, countertops. You can renovate it pretty quickly as long as you're not doing major mechanical stuff. And then once you have it rented, you go to a long-term lender and say, hey, I've got this really high interest loan that I need to refinance into maybe a four or 5% loan. And they go, okay, now that's a rate and term refinance instead of a purchase. So Mm -hmm. there's just slight nuance differences there, but they actually don't require any sort of seasoning for down payment. They don't want to see where your money came from. Really? Um, Yeah. I thought there was normally a seasoning period. There is when you're trying to buy it. Okay. So they'll, the normal single family lenders want to see where that down payment's coming from. But if you already own the house, they don't really care. So I'll break it down um, once I finish. So once you refinance, then you can pull money back out or be into the deal for less money. And then you go and repeat. So that's what Burr stands for. A deal I did was found this house off market from a wholesaler. It was right next to a freeway there was not very much wrong with the house. So the wholesaler was marketing it for 225,000. And because I had previously done a deal in that same neighborhood, I had just gotten my appraisal back maybe two months before on an almost identical house. And it came in at 295,000. Very similar conditions, but most people want to flip homes because they want to make a wheelbarrow full of cash that they're taxed very heavily on because it's the cool thing to do. Sure. So most of the other investors there were going, okay, well, I want to flip this because they don't have a ton of money and they want to make a ton of money. It was too skinny to flip and everyone was worried about it because it was right next to the freeway. Yeah, sure. So they're like, hey, we don't know how it's going to impact the sales price. It's right next to the freeway. 
buyers are going to get freaked out. And when you're buying stuff to flip, you want to be in and out quick and you don't want to sit on stuff. So I went to the wholesaler and I said, Hey, I'll pay you two twenty-five, dollars but I, I need to lock this up now and close because I've got a couple other offers on other houses. And they took my off. They made 5,000 bucks assigning the contract to me. I closed on it with a hard money loan, paid the 12% interest for 28 days. The day I closed, I started the refinance process. I sent my handyman hmm. in. The day I closed, I sent my handyman in and I said, I need you to do paint touch-ups, fix this stuff, just make it rent ready. We're going to fix a couple little things. I think I spent like three or 4,000 bucks. We order the appraisal. The appraiser goes out. I meet with the appraiser and I say, hey, I own this property down the street. And luckily for me, it was the same appraiser that appraised that house. Oh my God. <laughs> so I was like, dude, you just appraised that one for 295. Here's the comps you used. And he's like, oh yeah, I totally remember it. And we just had a different conversation. And my appraisal came in at 295. At the time, you could do 80% loan to value on a non-cash out refinance. Okay. Meaning you just refinance the current debt you have. Just right in term. Yeah. Right in term refinance. So 295 times 0.8. That means the maximum I could refinance was 236,000. Okay. I bought it for 225. I had some closing costs. I paid my hard money lender and then I had my long-term refinance costs. So I was able to refinance all of my interest on my hard money loan and my refinance costs into the new loan amount. So I refinanced it at 236,000. The only money that I was into the deal was the three or 4,000 bucks that I paid my hand account. So and that's how, and that's how you get and then how much does that cash flow per month? So at at the beginning I think I made like 250 bucks a month cash flow. I since refinanced it when rates dropped right when covid hit and everyone was telling me, "Oh, do forbearances." And I was like, "No, I'm not going to do that." And then rates dropped and I was like, "Cool, I'm going to refinance when rates dropped." And because I did not take forbearances, they were like, "Hey, you're not in forbearance." we'll refinance you. And I dropped my interest rate, which saved me like another 200 bucks a month. And then I had tenants move out and then rent had gone up. So now I make 500 bucks a month on it. And I have a property manager managing it. I don't have to deal with anything. I'm actually selling that property now for 442,000. And I'm going to, I'm going to do a 1031 tax deferred exchange. And I think I locked up the deal. It, it will probably be done by the time that this happens, but it's a duplex in downtown Salt Lake that I'm buying for 550,000 that needs probably $25,000 worth of work to be worth six. So I'm forcing the appreciation, forcing the equity growth and I'll refinance and I'll cash flow somewhere between 700 and $1,100 a month on that duplex. Hmm. All from $3,000. Yep. I think I will have close to $275,000 in equity once that duplex process is complete. It's the same one I just explained. So I, in four years, I will have turned $3,000 into almost $300,000. There's, there's our title. <laughs> there's the podcast. And that's just one of the houses, right? Yeah, that's so, just one. So, so what's, what's the entire portfolio look like? What's the cash flow position that you've got right now from everything? 
Yeah, great question. Almost every deal that we've done has been, we're buying something that's distressed, sold a bunch of the like single families that we've got some equity in that isn't cash flowing as much. And like we've rolled them up into small multifamily. Sure. So we sold a couple of single families last year. I bought a fiveplex. I bought a sixplex. We bought a 12 unit that we, yeah. So we have some partners on that. Our cash flow after paying all our mortgages, we're and taking into account vacancy and expenses and everything. We're probably right around six thousand to seven thousand dollars a month. There you go. There you go. And that's with almost no money out of pocket. Yeah, I mean, there were some deals that weren't as good as that last one I just explained. Like the prior deal to that one, we left about forty thousand in that house. But still, if you think about it, if you go and buy a three hundred thousand dollar house and put twenty percent down. That's 60,000 that you're having to put in a deal. Yeah. If I had my 60,000 sitting in cash on the table, um, using different strategies, you can multiply your wealth by controlling more assets. And it's the complete opposite of, again, what we're told like growing up and there's a very popular debt is dumb mentality out there, Mm -hmm. which I totally agree. Like we don't have any credit card debt. Consumer debt is dumb. Yeah. 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 Debt that you have to pay back is dumb. With high interest rates, especially. Yep. Yeah. But debt where like, dude, that house, a tenant paid the mortgage for four years. Yeah. I never once paid that mortgage payment. A tenant paid it down. While it appreciated, I kept the cash flow. The bank never came to me and said, hey, this thing really appreciated. We want 80% of the appreciation. So we've got a handful of single family residencies right now. We've got a couple of small multis just because we've traded a lot of our single families up because you're maxed on how many single family loans you can get. It's really hard after seven with decent rates. There's definitely different loan products out there, but I just found really good deals on some small multifamilies that really cash flowed. And we were able to sell a rental or two and and buy the small multifamilies. So we've cycled out of some of the single families into some small multifamilies. So we're probably 22 units that are multifamily and eight or so that are single family. Perfect. All right. Awesome. So let's recap this entire journey because you just gave a masterclass on on wealth creation, right? Because a lot of people listen and they're like, oh, I'm going to save up money for that first house, and which is what I did too. You save up your first $30,000 and you get your first deal and then you start playing the game. There's levels to this game. So here's a 30,000 foot view recap of what Jordy just said. So he took a distressed off-market property that needed a little bit of work. He got a hard money loan. So this is you can get this through hard money or private money. These people lend on distressed properties at a higher percent interest rate. So you go get that. You don't need money. That like They will cover your cost to buy the house. You get the house and then he puts a tenant in it. He fixes it up. He refinances it out to where he almost gets all of his money back besides $3,000. And then he just continues that process. You keep accumulating houses like this. It's just like the game of Monopoly. You get a single family. Then you can sell those and use the 1031 exchange clause to be able to take that profit tax-free, roll it into a larger deal, and then just keep going and going and going. And that's how the game of wealth, if y'all want to know how to become a millionaire in three years, that's how you do it. 
You can't save your way to a million. Nope. You can't do it. This is how you do it. And Jordy, who can do this? Who is there any limitations on who can do this and who can't do this? No. I mean, if I can do it, anyone can do it because I'm not that smart. You don't need a doctorate degree to do this. You don't need to be Brandon Turner. You don't need to be six foot seven with a beard. Nope. I love it, man. So I mean, I'm, I'm five foot 11 with red hair. So if I can do it, anyone can do it. Use that as your motivation. Put a picture of Jordy. He just got new headshots. Put a picture of Jordy up on your wall. Look at that guy. Be like, hey, that guy can do it. Anybody can do it. Exactly. <laughs> Dude, I love this. What's next? Why do you do all of this? Hey, I'm a deal junkie. I just really enjoy it. It's fun. Uh, I've built a team around me. And, th- and that's another thing is there's two different paths in real estate. And real estate's a business. So you can either go big, which you need a good team around you for, or you can stay small. And if you had eight or nine or 10 rental properties that were paid for free and clear, and I'm not saying you save up and pay cash for it, but especially in today's environment where interest rates are significantly lower than inflation, mm-hmm. like you could, you could buy two rentals on the same street, let one appreciate until it could pay the other one off, sell the one, pay off the other, and you could depending on what market you're in, like here in Salt Lake, you could get that done in four or five years. Assuming we don't crash. So rather than try to put it on a 15 year mortgage and pay it off quicker, why not buy two a little bit more creatively, wait five years, let them appreciate, let them get paid down a little bit, sell one, pay off the other. Then you own one free and clear. Right. Yep, exactly. And then here's another cool way of thinking about it is like a lot of people, um, save up for their kids college. So I don't even know when I have kids, I don't even know if I'm going to encourage college or what college even looks like at that point. But instead of saving all this money off to the side, just buy a rental property. That's it. All you have to do, you can literally spend $3,000 like Jordy just did and get a rental property and put on an 18 year mortgage, an 18 year note. By the time your kid is 18, they're going to be able to have this house free and clear and they can either sell it or they can continue down that real estate path because they'll understand it. And that's what Brandon Turner does with his kids. Every single time he has a kid, pops out a rental property, pop out a baby, rental property. <laughs> and I love that. So that's what I'm, I've got properties now that when I have kids, they're colleges, they can go wherever they want. Well, I'll probably they'll probably not do it. They'll probably follow the entrepreneurial itch because I hate college at this point. But anyway, so yeah. So if you, so let's fast forward a bit, five years. Where do you want to take this in five years? Do you want to go? Do you want to go the big way? Or do you see yourself doing the more paying off properties and getting those equity positions and being able to have just that pure cash flow coming in? Because neither way is wrong. Yeah, no, that's a good question. So Robert Kiyosaki says there's three sides to a coin, right? There's the heads, there's the tails, and then there's the edge. Mm. And a lot of times in our life, we think there's only two sides to a story, but the third side is the edge. And if you can stand on the edge and look at both sides, then you can make the most informed decision possible. Cause a lot of times we have biases, we get emotional. And when we're making emotional decisions, it just turns out different than when we make logical decisions for right now, I'm in growth mode. I'm 31. What am I going to do if I retire? Like exactly. We have a big motor home right now. We travel a ton with my kids. I spend a lot of time with them. 
but I would go crazy if I spent 168 hours a week with them. I love them to death, but I'm a deal junkie. I, I know that I'd be sitting, you know, at home in front of my kids looking at real estate deals. Cause I just, I love it. We'll probably continue in our growth mode for a while. I don't know how long that is. I don't know what that looks like. We are going to me and my partner, Jay Addis, which we were talking about him just a little bit before we started a company called Silicon Slopes Capital Partners because Salt Lake area is becoming Silicon Slopes. There's a lot of companies coming from Silicon Valley, better business mm -hmm. environment, better lifestyle environment for some people. So anyways, we're just investing here locally. And if people want to invest with us, then, then we can take the same strategies I've talked about here and help other people enjoy really good returns in real estate. Where can they reach out? Where can they reach out for that? Yeah. If they're an accredited investor, you can, you know, reach out to us on Instagram. We've got a website, siliconslopescapitalpartners.com. And then we'll have you fill out a survey and, and kind of go through all the SEC stuff there. But yeah, I mean, you can find me on Instagram, send me a DM. We're happy to chat, set up a phone call, Zoom call. I'm also launching a podcast here pretty soon to help other people on this journey to financial freedom. It's called The Financially Free Investor. By the time you drop this episode, it will probably be live. We're going live May 2nd. So nice. you can look us up on everywhere podcasts are done and YouTube. And yeah, I mean, I'd love to help more people go this alternative route to financial independence where you're not forced to sit in a cubicle for 40 years at a job you hate just to pay the bills. Yeah. So speak a little bit more about who, who should be listening to this show. I mean, anyone, <laughs> everyone, this is something that like, we're not taught in our society. We're not taught how to manage money. We're not taught anything in high school or there's nothing in the formal education process that teaches us anything on other than if you want to get to the next step, you just need more school. Right. Yeah. I mean, just even learning about this, if you're 16 and learning about it, great. Now when you're 18, you can go buy a house and rent all the other rooms out to people. If you're 40 and you're in a job that you really enjoy, you make really good money and, and you save a good chunk of that, there's different ways to invest than going and trying to find these one-off deals that become home runs. Like anything you buy real estate wise over a 10, 20, 30 year period is going to look like a home run. Like everyone I talk to, that has bought a home more than 20 or 30 years ago. I say, well, how much did you pay for that house? And they tell me some, what I think is some super low number. But at the, I say at the time, what was your payment? And how did that feel? And they're like, oh man, it was super expensive. And just as our dollar devalues over time, which it's intended to do, everything gets more expensive, but everyone makes more money. Everyone still gets along and it's not that big of a deal. But someone who bought a house 30 years ago and paid $30,000, that same house is worth six or 700 now, depending on the area that it's in. So like real estate just looks really sexy over long periods of time, but people don't give it credit until all of a sudden it's been those long periods of time. Yeah, I mean, if even if you're like, I'm helping my parents buy rental properties right now and change their paradigm a little bit where they just bought their first rental, they took cash out of their house to buy a rental property that... By the way, their payment didn't change. They're now making more money every month. They bought a house at a discount. So they bought built-in equity. And in three or four or five years, they have the option to go and sell that house and pay their house off a route that would have taken another 10 years had they just applied a couple extra hundred bucks a month. But they have now have options and they can choose if they want to sell it. Cool. If not, 
they can re-leverage it and go buy something else. There's just so many options. It doesn't matter your age. You could be 70 or 80 still doing real estate deals. So yeah. I love and, that. Anyone, like anyone who who wants to better their financial future or or build legacy wealth or do anything just different than the norm should be listening. I love it. And we will include that in the show description in the show notes. We'll have a link to his show and we'll have all the information about the him and Jay's business. Speaking of which, Jay Addis, if you're listening to this, I'm going to send it to you. I owe you another podcast because I was just talking to Jay the other day and I realized I never even explained to him what the hell happened with me and his episode because <laughs> it never aired. And what happened was he was in the middle of doing the show and he had the contractor come in. And so we had to stop the show and restart the show. And it, it just didn't work. I tried to edit it and it was just too broken. And it just sounded uh, it's like we just need to redo it. And I was like, as we were doing this right now, I just realized I never actually told him that. <laughs> so I owe, Jay, I owe you a text. I'm about to text you, buddy. But yeah. anyways, Jordy, dude, I love this. I, I appreciate the absolute heck out of you, man. I'm glad to be your friend. Loved being able to finally meet you up in Utah. and. Dude, I love you're doing big things. Love, love following along and can't wait to see what comes next, brother. Likewise, man. Thank you. All right. Thank you. This is Brian Lubin and Jordy Clark with the Action Academy Podcast signing off. You've been listening to the Action Academy Podcast, helping you to choose what you want with who you want when you want. You've been given the gift of freedom. Don't turn your back on that. We hope you've enjoyed the show. And we hope you've gotten some practical and useful information. Make sure to like, rate, and review the show. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hook up with us on social media. Remember, financial independence is freedom. The flags of freedom fly. Freedom fly.